Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, we return to the listener library for a suggestion from our mysterious listener, Will. Will writes, Gentlemen, I would like to make a request. This one is really for Eric, who that's me, lamented that it would be difficult to bring an episode of The Lone Ranger to the Morals podcast. I'd also like to dedicate it to my father, Charles Oliver, who passed away 10 years ago and was a forever fan of The Lone Ranger. So much so, he named his antique business from the opening lines of the radio show from out of the past. What I want to recommend is an episode in which The Lone Ranger has a hand in the supernatural. Legacy for a Ghost. The Lone Ranger made his debut in 1933 on Detroit radio station WXYZ, but the events that led to his creation began a year earlier when XYZ co-owner and station manager George W. Trendle made the bold decision to drop network affiliation and replace syndicated programming with original content created and owned by the station. Trendle hired stage actor Jim Jewell as dramatic director and freelance writer Fran Stryker to work on scripts. The station's earliest efforts at dramatic programming included The Thrills of Secret Service, Dr. Fang, and Warner Lester Manhunter. Despite great titles, these series failed to capture the imagination of the listening public. In the summer of 1932, Trendle and Jewel began developing a new series about a masked cowboy who righted wrongs in the Old West. They passed the basic concept to Franz Stryker, who fleshed it out and provided the early scripts. The result was an instant hit. A few months after The Lone Ranger premiered on WXYZ, the station offered a free Lone Ranger pop gun to the first 300 listeners to mail in a request. As the story goes, the station received a staggering 25,000 letters. After 10 episodes, Fran Stryker realized that it was difficult to write dialogue for a hero who spent most of his time alone. So he invented Tonto, for the sole purpose of giving the reclusive Lone Ranger a friend to talk to. Despite beginning life as a plot contrivance, Tonto quickly became an integral part of the Lone Ranger's mythos. Today, the Lone Ranger and Tonto are considered one of the most iconic duos in the history of American popular culture. George Seaton was the first to play the Lone Ranger, followed by Earl Grazer, but it was the third actor, Brace Beamer, who played the Masked Man the longest, from 1941 to 1954. Tonto, with the exception of a few episodes, was played by John Todd for the entirety of the radio program's 21-year run. By the end of the 1930s, the Lone Ranger was carried by more than 400 American radio stations. The popularity of the radio series led to spin-offs, including movies, books, and of course the 1950s television show starring Clayton Moore and Jay Silverheels. The radio series even spawned another mass crusader in the form of the Lone Ranger's grandnephew, Britt Reed, alias the Green Hornet. And now, let's listen to Legacy of a Ghost. From the Lone Ranger, originally broadcast December 28th, 1942. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speakers. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. (laughs) 
ordinary horse with the speed of light, the cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver, the Lone Ranger. Indian companion Tonto, the masked rider of the plains, led the fight for law and order in the early western United States. The stories of his strength and courage, his daring and resourcefulness have come down to us through the generations, and nowhere in the pages of history can one find a greater champion of justice. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the past come the thundering hoofbeats of the great horse, Silver. The Lone Ranger rides again. Come on, Silver. There's trouble on the trail ahead. Ordinarily, Cass Greenstreet, president of the state bank at Dawson, Nevada, didn't have lunch with Saul Conroy, his head teller. In fact, today was the first time in ten years that both men had left the bank at exactly 12 noon. Say, Cass, folks might think this is kind of funny, both of us going to lunch at the same time. Nobody will notice, Conroy. Come on. We'll lead over to the hotel dining room. A few minutes later, the banker and his assistant were seated at a small table in the dining room of Dawson's only hotel. Then Cass Greenstreet consulted his watch. Well, Conroy, five minutes after twelve, nothing's happened. It'll happen all right. I'm not worried. I am. How can we be sure this hombre, whoever he is, will follow through and hold up the bank? Because I told him it would be easy. Who is he, anyway? Well, I don't know. Just a tramp I picked up in Pineville. How about Sheriff Tuttle? Get word to him? Yeah, I wrote him a note. I slipped it under the door in his office last night. Wrote him a note? Why well, you... I mean, I printed it. He'll take the tip all right. Bet he's out in front of the bank right now. Oh, I hope so. And he'll be primed to shoot. Because in the note, I said this bank rival was a killer. Then I signed it with a name that's a cinch to make him think it's the truth. How'd you sign it? <laughs> I gotta laugh every time I think about that note. Never mind laughing. <laughs> Just remember, there is a killing. You've got to get to the tramp before anybody else does. Oh, sure, but you don't... That must be it. Hurry up. Get over there. Now, Cass, there's no need I to... I said hurry. All right, I'm going. Everything depends on us. 
The Dawson Bank has been held up and robbed, and if the sheriff has killed the outlaw, you've got to examine the dead man before anyone else does. Now get going. Oddly enough, the fears or hopes of Cass Green Street had been true. A masked outlaw had tried to hold up the bank just a few minutes after 12 o'clock. And it had been a simple affair because there'd been no one there except an old bookkeeper. When the outlaw had emerged from the bank with a sack of gold under his arm, he'd walked into the point-blank fire of Sheriff Tuttle's six guns. He was killed instantly. That afternoon, just at sundown, a small crowd gathered on Boot Hill to witness the unhappy outlaw's burial. A rough pine box was lowered into the grave, then the local parson spoke a few words. The crowd departed quickly, and after a grave digger had filled a shallow trench and pushed a wooden marker into the earth, he too left the scene. No one noticed a rather quiet young man who remained behind and stared dubiously at the writing on the wooden headboard. That is, no one noticed him but two horsemen who had watched the entire scene from a grove of cottonwoods not far away. One of the men was masked and rode a powerful white stallion. His companion was an Indian. It was the Lone Ranger and Tonto. Hello. I wonder why one man stayed behind. Oh, me not know. Maybe he's a relative of the outlaw they had just buried. Oh. Still, I don't... Let's go over and talk to him. Ah. Come on. Oh, who's A masked man. Well, this country's full of surprises. Who are you? Easy, big fella. I want to intrude. Well, I guess Boot Hill's public property. You've got as much right here as I have. Was the man they just buried a relative of yours? That's what I've been standing here trying to figure out. Don't you know? Tell you the truth, I'm a little bit mixed up. The army that's planted under that headboard held up the Dawson Bank at noon today. Yes, I know. And he was shot and killed by the sheriff. Well, what connection does that have with you? Go over and look at the writing on that wooden slab at the head of the grave. All right. Hmm. Here lies Jack Potter, age 28. Shot and killed while attempting to rob the Dawson State Bank. May his evil soul at last find peace. Well, it just says that the outlaw was a man named Potter, age 28. Yeah, yeah, I know. Well, that's what's got me mixed up. Oh, what do you mean? Well, that's my name. You see, I'm Jack Potter. A few minutes later, in the Lone Ranger's camp... Jack Potter told the masked man and Tonto a strange story. I'm from the southern part of the state. Up until a few days ago, I was punching cows in a spread down there. Then I got a letter from a banker here in Dawson. It said that my Uncle Jeb, who lived here, just died. I was his heir. Was that true? I guess so. I've never found out. Go on. It said to come up here right away and bring positive proof of my identity. Could you do that? Sure. I had my discharge papers from the army. So I got on a train and came up to Pineville. Pineville? Oh, I forgot to tell you. The letter also said that because there wasn't any railroad running through Dawson, I was to get off the train in Pineville, and somebody would meet me there. Did they? Yeah. When I got off the train in Pineville last night, two men were waiting for me. Are you Jack Potter? That's me. Well, welcome to Pineville. My name's Conroy. Mr. Greenstreet from the Dawson Bank sent me over to meet you. Well, it's mighty nice of Mr. Greenstreet. But I guess I could have found my way to Dawson, all right. Oh, sure, but I brought my rig. We'll drive over in the morning. Morning? Oh, it's a hard trip. You'd better rest here overnight. Oh, excuse me, Potter. This is, uh... 
This is Mr. Anderson. Glad to know you. Hey, I have a room reserved for you at the hotel. Guess we might as well go on over there. Sure, anything you say. Oh, by the way, Potter, I hope you brought your legal identification with you. Mr. Greenspeed will want to see it as soon as you get to Dawson. Oh, sure. I've got my army discharge papers right here in my pocket. Oh, then let's go to the hotel. Come on, Anderson. Did you spend the night in Pineville? Most of it. But I didn't do much sleeping. What do you mean? Well, the three of us, Conroy, Anderson, and I, had supper. Then we went upstairs to our rooms. Well, uh, here's your room, Potter. Anderson and I have to go up another flight. Couldn't get all three rooms on the same floor. <laughs> That's all right, Mr. Conroy. I'm not used to hotels, but I'll make out all right. Oh, of course you will. And we'll call you first thing in the morning. Good night, Potter. Good night. Good night, Mr. Anderson. Good night. And what happened the next morning? Things began to happen before morning. You see, I'd been sleeping out in the open for years. That hotel bed felt strange. I, I couldn't get comfortable. I must have turned and twisted for an hour or more. But I couldn't go to sleep. Well, finally, I decided I'd try putting my head at the bottom of the bed instead of the top. Well, that's when it happened. What happened? I heard a key put in my door. And it started to turn, real soft-like. I was wide awake, but I figured the best thing to do was play possum. So I waited until the lock clicked and the door opened just a crack. And somebody whispered my name. Putty. Jack Putty. When I didn't answer, the door opened real fast and somebody came in the room. But it was so dark I, I couldn't see. Whoever this critter was, I could hear him breathe as he came over to the bed. I, I didn't know what to do. My guns were lying on a chair five feet away. Then as he came closer, I saw he had a shooting iron in his hand. And he was aiming it at the pillow at the head of the bed. I guess in the dark, the pillow must have looked like my head. Because the next thing he did was squeeze the trigger. I raised up and tried to grab him. But he had the advantage of standing up, and I was lying flat on my back. He swung on me with the butt end of his gun. And that's the last thing I knew. When did you regain consciousness? This morning. I've still got a big lump on my head, but otherwise I'm all right. Who was this man who tried to kill you, you know? I've got a hunch it was Anderson. Well, uh, what makes you think so? Because when I was able to move around this morning, both Anderson and Conroy were gone. So I rented a horse and rode over here to Dawson. Have you seen either of those men since you arrived? No. Because when I got in town, they were having that planting ceremony over in Poot Hill. And whoever's in that grave must have had my army papers on him. Well, why didn't you go directly to the bank and talk to Green Street or Conroy? I thought of that. Then I figured I'd have a hard time proving who I am. Especially when I just finished burying one army named Potter. You should have gone to the sheriff and told him about it. I was going to do that, too. But when the funeral was going on, I heard somebody say that Sheriff Tuttle knew this critter was a professional bank robber because he got a note from the Lone Ranger. What? Say... What did you say? I said this Lone Ranger must have tipped off the sheriff. Because... Did you hear that, Tuttle? Ah. Oh, what's wrong? Everything. Seems, Potter, that you're not the only one who's involved in this attempt to bury a man who isn't dead. I don't understand. Neither do I. But I intend to find out. Here, Silver. <laughs> I think I'll go to Dawson and look up this Conroy critter. If he thinks Hello, he can... Potter. Wait here with Tonto. I'll be right back. Easy, big fellow. But what will I do about this? Don't worry. You won't be alone. We'll both do something about it. Come on, Silver. Oh, Silver. Oh, boy. Oh. Easy, big fellow. 
I understand you received a note from me. I sure did. I'm much obliged for the tip-off. Caught that bank robbing varmint red-handed. Yes, I heard about it. Nailed him right between the eyes. And we planned him on Boot Hill about an hour ago. I see that note, Sheriff. You you mean... Why, sure, sure. Here it is. Hmm. Dear Sheriff, a bushwhacker that works alone is aiming to stick up the Dawson Bank at noon today. I thought you'd like to know about it. Sign the Lone Ranger. Mighty nice of you to give me the tip. How'd you know? I didn't. I didn't write this note, Sheriff. You didn't? Then how could you know Tell that... Tell me, who was this outlaw? Did you identify him? Young buckaroo named Potter. Jack Potter. Sheriff, I don't know who it was who robbed the bank today. But I do know the man buried up on Boot Hill isn't Jack Potter. Isn't Jack? And I'm sure that Conroy and Green Street can tell you who it is. You mean them two hombres are pulling the shenanigan? They've already pulled it. Yeah? Well, I never did like them critters. I'll rustle them out of bed right now. No, Sheriff. I'm involved in this, too. And we need proof before we can accuse anyone of a crime. You say you didn't write that note. That's good enough for me. I'll get Conroy and Green Street. No. It's always best to let crooks convict themselves. What do you mean? Wait a couple of days. I'll keep in touch with you. In the meantime, I'll ask a ghost to help us. A ghost? Yes, sir. Sometimes fear is more powerful than lead, Sheriff. Come on, Silver. Well, I'll be. If I didn't know he was the Lone Ranger, I'd swear that man was local. The curtain falls on the first act of our Lone Ranger story. Before the next exciting scenes, please permit us to pause for just a few moments. the masked man left Sheriff Tuttle's office, he returned to the camp where Tonto and Jack Potter were waiting for him. There he proposed a plan that would take several days to complete. Now, this is what I want you to do. Write a letter to Green Street. Pretend that you've just received his letter. Tell him you'll arrive in Pineville the following day. What good will that do? I'll explain it later. Write the letter now. Sure, I will. Where can I get paper and a pencil? Over in my saddlebag. Thanks. I thought of. Uh-huh. As soon as he finishes writing that letter, I want you to take it and ride south. Uh-huh. Where may go? To the town nearest the ranch where Potter used to work. Mail it at the post office there. Ah, me do it. Then ride back to Pineville. I'll meet you by the river just east of town. Ah. Here. It's sort of scribbled, but I guess you'll be able to read it. That's all right. Here, Tonto. Ah. 
Now, ride fast. I want that letter to arrive back here in Dawson by tomorrow afternoon. You get scout. Me take letter. Come back to Pineville. That's right, and hurry, Dallow. Uh-huh. Get him up, scout. I guess I don't exactly understand what you're doing. It's simple. And that's the main reason why it should work. You and I'll go to Pineville. And then, day after tomorrow, you'll pretend you've just got off the train. But why? Because tomorrow afternoon, Mr. Greenstreet will receive a letter he'll hardly believe. Who's it from? I don't know. It was the only mail on the afternoon stage. Let me see it. What? Well, this is impossible. What is it? This is from that kid down south. Jack Potter. P- Potter? Listen. He says, Dear Mr. Greenstreet, I am sorry to hear about Uncle Jeb's death. Regarding the inheritance and complying with your instructions, I'll arrive in Pineville tomorrow afternoon. Sincerely yours, Jack Potter. Oh, I, I know what it is. That letter's been delayed some way. It should have been here two days ago. Uh, but it doesn't make any difference now because I'm... Conroy, look at the date at the top of the page. Date? Why, sure. Dated yesterday morning. Can't be. It's a mistake. I thought you met this kid in Pineville yesterday afternoon. I did, Cass. Really, I, I did. I thought you hired a tramp to put a bullet through his head. The same tramp that was killed yesterday. I did. I mean, he did. I know he killed Potter because he brought me the army discharge papers that night in the hotel. And besides that, I heard the shot. Then how do you explain this letter? It's a mistake. Potter must have written it before he left and put the wrong date on it. Maybe you're right. Just to make sure, you'd better go over to Pineville tomorrow and meet that train from the south. Yes, it isn't true. It can't be true. Listen, I don't know what happened in Pineville, but I do know what'll happen to you and me if that Potter boy is still alive. Go over there, meet that train, and if he's on it, don't hire any tramps. Do the job yourself this time. You mean... You know what I mean. All right. I'll do it. Hey, uh, stranger, can you tell me how to get to Dawson? <laughs> what? Why, sure, I... Oh. I'm a stranger in this neck of the woods, and I well, thought... What's your name? Potter. Jack Potter. I'm on my way to Dawson. I guess we'll have to catch a stage over there, but I don't know where to find it. Uh, have you... Have you ever been here in Pineville before? First time I ever saw the place. Say, stranger, what's wrong with you? Oh, oh, oh nothing. Nothing at all. You, you know, it's... It's rather coincidence you coming up and speaking to me like you did. That's so? Yeah, you see, I... I came over from Dawson to meet a man named Jack Potter and... <laughs> I guess you're him. Well, this is lucky. Uh, what's your name? I'm Sal Conroy. Mr. Greenstreet from the bank sent me over to meet you. Well, it's mighty nice of Mr. Greenstreet. He sent word about Uncle Jeb dying, so I came right up. I guess he must have got my letter, too. Yes, he got it. Well, where do we catch the stage for Dawson? Well, there isn't any stage until tomorrow morning. We'll, we'll have to spend the night here in Pineville. Oh, that's so? Well, I guess I can use the rest. Oh, sure, sure you can. I've got a room all reserved for you at the hotel. Well, it's mighty decent of you, Mr. Conroy. But you shouldn't have gone to all that trouble. Oh, no, no trouble at all. Glad to do it. You see, Mr. Greenstreet told me to be sure and take care of you. So I'm just following instructions. Oh, here, here. Let me carry your suitcase. Thanks, Mr. Conroy. Come on, we'll go to the hotel now. Hello. Conroy and Jack Potter are eating supper in the hotel dining room. Uh-huh. And Conroy isn't wearing his gun belt. Must be in his room. There's a store building right by the side of the hotel. You can climb up there and get into Conroy's room through the window. 
My time to do this. Find his gun. Take out the bullets and fill it with these blanks. Here. Yeah. Time to go. Well, here's your room, Potter. My bunk is one flight up. Couldn't get both rooms on the same floor. <laughs> well, that's all right, Mr. Conroy. I'll make out all right. I feel right at home. What? What's that? No, there's something familiar about this place. What? What do you mean? Almost like I'd been here before. But... No, I must be crazy. Either you are or I am. What did you say? Oh, nothing, nothing. Good night, Potter. Good night, Mr. Conroy. I'll see you in the morning. Yeah. I'll see you in the morning. Pretend to be asleep. I sure hope that masked man or the Indian reached Conroy's guns before he did. I gotta keep this up. Make it sound like I'm really sleeping. So much alike. Uh, uh, say, what the... For a while I thought you might be a ghost, but this will settle it. Oh, oh, oh. Well, Conroy, what happened? I met the train case yesterday afternoon. Well? And this kid, Jack Potter, was on it. He was. And who was the other critter? On the tramp drill. They said he did. I don't know. Those army discharge papers the tramp gave to you. We planted them after he was killed. They belonged to Potter. What happened to the kid you met yesterday? I took him to the hotel in Pineville. Then I plugged him just like you told me to. Are you sure? I'm positive. Well, I hope so. There's been a mix-up someplace, but as long as they're both dead, I guess... Letter for you, Mr. Greenstreet. All right, give it to me. What? Cass. Cass, what is it? Listen to this. Dear Mr. Greenstreet, I'm sorry I missed the Pineville train yesterday. I hope I didn't inconvenience you in any way. I've decided not to ride the train anyway. I'll come to Dawson direct by stage from the south. I'll arrive about 10 p.m. and go right to the bank. Sincerely yours. Signed, Jack Potter. No. No, it can't be from Potter. He's dead. It's right there in black and white. I don't believe it. I killed him. And dead men can't write letters. Shut up. You've got to figure this out. It's a ghost case. That's what it is. Jack Potter's dead. He's lying up there on Boot Hill. I killed a ghost last night. And now this is another one. Quiet. How can I think with you sniveling like an old woman? But Cass, I talked to him. I ate supper with him and I killed him. No. No, I didn't. Nobody can kill a ghost. That's why he's coming here tonight. Quiet. Oh, Cass. Only one thing to do. We've got to ride out and meet the stage tonight before it gets to town. Ride out and meet... No. No, I'm not going. I say we're both going. This time I'll do the shooting. Cash, you can't kill a ghost. Somebody that's already said... Stop yapping. 
A good solid slug from a 45 doesn't care what it hits. You and I'll meet that stage. We shouldn't do it, Cass. We shouldn't do it. Quit squawking. Get that mask over your face. Don't want the stage driver to recognize us. Shut up. Come to the stage. Hey, pull up. Pull up, Ralph. Shoot. Hold oh, on. Hold on. Hold on. Keep your hands up. They're up. A road agent, huh? Well, boys, this is one time you picked the wrong coach. I ain't carrying a lead quarter. We don't want any cash. All we want to do is talk to the passenger you've got inside. Passenger? <laughs> You draw another blank, boys. I haven't carried a passenger on this run for over two weeks. I don't believe it. Tell your passenger to get out. You tell them. If you can find them. <laughs> He's right. There's no one inside the coach. Uh, set aside. I... All right, get moving. Anything to oblige. Get it. I can't understand it. I can't. We're dealing with a ghost, a man who's dead on Boot Hill, but his ghost is plaguing us because we're stealing the money that's rightfully his. Shut up. Get on your horse. What are you going to do, Cass? Ride back to the bank. Come on. Get up, bank. Get up. Here they come, Potter. As soon as they get inside, you go up and knock on the door. Shall I carry the suitcase? Of course. You just got off the stage. None of us. Yes, I, I told you what we're up against. If you mention ghosts again, I'll... Excuse at the door. No, no. All it right, might be. I'll open it myself. Mr. Greenstreet? Who are you? Seems kind of funny that you don't ask me in. I've had a long trip. I just came in on the 10 o'clock stage. You just... Yes. I thought you'd be expecting me. My name's Potter. Jack Potter. Yes! Cass, it's him, it's Potter! The man I killed, he's dead! Shut up, Potter. I will not shut up! You're talking to a ghost! This is what we get for robbing the estate! I, uh, I came to see about the money that Uncle Jeff left to me. Oh, you did, eh? Well, I don't believe in ghosts, so get your hands up, both of them. Why, uh... Drop that suitcase and get them up. That's better. Now, listen to me. I don't know what your game is, but you're not going to outsmart me. I'm not trying to outsmart anybody. Oh, yes, you are. But I'm going to plug you, so it doesn't make any difference how much you know. Sure, I took the money from your uncle's estate. I've got every bit of it. And now I'm going to... You'll do nothing, Green Street. Why, you... Come on in, Sheriff. Well, well. Nice little sociable party. You heard Green Street's and Conroy's confession, didn't you, Sheriff? Heard every word. Enough to send them both to penitentiary for life. He's a ghost. He's a ghost. I'll leave them in your hands, Toto. Where are the horses? Silver Scout. Outside. Good. Adios, Jack Potter, and good luck. Oh, wait, wait. I don't even know who you are. A lot of folks have said the same thing, Jack. But he didn't give me a chance to thank him for everything he did. He never waits for thanks, son. That's the Lone Ranger.
just heard is a copyrighted feature of the Lone Ranger Incorporated. That was Legacy for a Ghost from the Lone Ranger here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. Thank you. At the top of this, Will, for your suggestion, for a couple reasons, not the least of which is we're glad to dedicate something in your father's honor, but also because I am a huge Lone Ranger fan in a certain way. (laughs) I have a tattoo of the Lone Ranger on me uh, <laughs> from the uh, drawing that was a promotion for the radio show that I took and put on my arm. Not me personally. I didn't just carve it out. <laughs> I went to a professional and they put it on there. But I'm not a fan of the Lone Ranger in the sense of this show and saying that is brilliant writing or that is really well constructed. But he is, the Ranger is the iconic infallible hero when i talk about this era of golden age of radio i always refer to you know the lone ranger the hero that cannot fail and i've discussed it on this podcast before when we hit 1961 uh marvel comics and everybody's got issues instead of (laughs) instead of just solving crime that's a whole new turn on the hero and it's stuck with us there is very few i would say indiana jones is an infallible hero Jack Bauer in 24 was the closest we came to going back to that, although he had all these dark things going on, but he could always get the job done at some terrible personal cost, which was the modern version of an infallible hero. And there's a part of me that really misses that. There's something about a story where you can be told, you don't need to worry about this part of the story. Don't double guess or triple guess this. They're perfect. (laughs) So... (laughs) The story or the twist or the suspense or whatever is going on, you don't have to think, wait a minute, what if it turns out the Lone Ranger is really a... a Working for Hitler. Right. (laughs) That's not You're not going to listen to the episode of, and then he got shot and he died. Right. (laughs) Exactly. And so that takes some of the storytelling out of it or the suspense, but it also gives you something to hang your hat on and to count on. And if you can count on your hero 100%, take that Submariner. That's my, you know, he was back and You're forth. always someday. zinging the Submariner. Really <laughs> off that guy. That guy. What did he ever do to you? Uh, I'm a hero today. I'm a bad guy tomorrow. Make up your mind, Gilly. Let's not be racist. <laughs> Toward Atlanteans? Yes. <laughs> anyway, I love the Lone Ranger, and I thought it would be nearly impossible to bring it to this podcast. We'll find out if we think it fits, but it's really nice to have the opportunity to discuss The Lone Ranger for me. I really think this was a great selection for the podcast. I really love The Lone Ranger's ghost story that he concocts. I mean, he give M.R. James a run for his money. The idea of repeatedly receiving letters from a dead guy, (laughs) that's a great ghost story, Lone Ranger. twice. (laughs) Yes, kudos. We'll talk about the plot of it in a yeah, second. I mean, but... there's a lot of setup to get there, uh-huh. but that's typical of Lone Ranger because it's for kids, and so they want to make this very clear. Uh, had you listened to any Lone Rangers before this? Yes, I had heard Lone Not Rangers. Money. Not many, but again, I used to record anything and everything from uh, when radio was. Yeah. And when the Lone I'm Ranger Stan was on. I'm Freeberg. <laughs> yes. And so I would listen to the Lone Ranger for sure. I just love that William Tell Overture. 
that gets you through the first 10 minutes. You're just excited for 10 minutes well, after. It's exactly, the first two minutes. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> exactly what the writers said every week. Hey, we got four minutes of this show beginning and end. We don't need to write. Tim, had you ever listened to a Lone Ranger before this? I had never heard the radio. I grew up on the TV show. Oh, interesting. Right. The TV show is even hokier. But in, in the exact sort of same way you're talking about for a little kid, it's... Oh, it's beautiful. Awesome. Yeah. So this is your first radio show. Yes. Uh, and I mean, to echo that exactly of going in and sort of, I'm a grown person now with a grown person sort of point of view on Lone Ranger. And then they play the music and this is awesome. <laughs> this is the best music ever. <laughs> There's a lot of simplicity to these. They're aimed at kids. And, you know, when you've listened to Suspense a few times and then you like for this recording this week and then I'll send them in the learning you're like oh right this is aimed a little younger I want to walk that back a little though because I do think the script does some interesting things it's more complicated than it needs to be to reach the end however it has some nice <laughs> surprises in it we have this robbery and you know murder by the sheriff that has been set up at shot the shot him in the head and brags about it later <laughs> shot him in the head that was very unkid like that, that is my First little comment in, this is a little critical, I will suspend my disbelief, but I'm going to go along with it, but I just got to point out, if the owner and the main teller can't rob the bank any better than that, <laughs> maybe they shouldn't be in the bank business, because they've right? got the keys. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they didn't want right. to rob the bank, they wanted to set up the They death. wanted the inheritance. Uh, yes, yeah, so they were robbing... Jack Potter, or yeah. whatever his name was. Fair but you're enough. right, it might have been easier to just rob the bank. Was that your point? <laughs> yes. Instead of just giving the inheritance. Here's my point, plot-wise. I hadn't um, finished, though. What The surprise is that I think is really nice is when the Lone Ranger shows up at this very sad funeral for the criminal who's been shot in the head <laughs> with a tombstone Not the criminal, that says... a tramp yeah, a that tramp, has been set up. Uh, may his evil soul at last find peace. <laughs> so they're still like digging in at him on his tombstone. <laughs> but anyway, that that's a nice reveal when that kid is there and the Lone Ranger asks him, is this a relative? And he's like, it's me. Right. And so... I really like that as a hook. Absolutely. Here's where it requires a lot of suspension of disbelief. In the first place, if your intent is, all right, we got to get these guys. We got to bring them to justice. I don't think there's any argument that's the plot, right? Now you have two choices. <laughs> there is a simple way, and then there is this, which isn't in the script, but I believe happened. You really want to screw with these guys? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we could get them. Or we could get them. And it gets so convoluted when they could have just gone to the sheriff. They had more than enough information for this that to be a four-minute episode. That would have been the most boring Correct. episode of the Lone Ranger so what, ever. So what is interesting about this plot is that their decision was, let's really, really well, screw with these guys. That implicit conversation happened when he found out there's a note signed the Lone Ranger. Yeah, and then he was like, this is personal. <laughs> like, oh, you... It did become personal, didn't it? Mm -hmm. And that's why he was screwing with him. But this reminds me of Orson Welles' shadow. And he was like, I could either just arrest you or I could mess with you all afternoon and make you crazy. <laughs> you don't like, rip the mask off the old Lone right. Ranger or forge his signature, apparently. Right. <laughs> I love this character, Potter, too. He like, oh, I got a job. Oh, somebody shot a pillow thinking it's my head. Oh, somebody buried a body thinking it's me. Oh, the Lone Ranger wants me to write a letter. Okay. Just every step <laughs> like, of the way. He's just like, life right. is weird, isn't it? 
<laughs> that guy can roll with it. And the Lone Ranger won't even fill him in on the plot. He's like, no. just do this. Just do, and everybody's like, okay. Well, even then, I'm like, oh, I'm really stunned. There's a grave with my name. Hey, there's a guy with a mask and his Indian sidekick. You don't see that too often. <laughs> Best line in this whole thing, though, that pulls you right out of anything where you're like, oh, this is bordering on a nice, serious plot, is when that guy says, were they pulling a shenanigan? <laughs> <laughs> right, they're pulling a shenanigan. <laughs> um, I will say this, that this is a much more complicated plot than normal for mm-hmm. a Lone Ranger and shows a side of the Lone Ranger that isn't normally shown, and that is revenge. I really <laughs> like that aspect of it a lot. I mean, the Lone Ranger gives us this excuse for why he's doing this. He tells the sheriff that it's much better to have a crook confess. So that's what the Lone Ranger is claiming the reason it's for doing BS. it. utter BS. Utter BS. It was revenge. Because you also know from the previous scene that this is a time in the Wild West, or at least within this fictional version of the Wild West, you don't need them to confess. You can just shoot them in the head. (laughs) (laughs) Which was proven 10 minutes earlier in the story. But I don't care. Because because an anonymous person told me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because I got a letter. From a guy in a mask. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, sets up the best part of this episode, which is the torturing of the criminals with the ghost letters. And the one losing it is really fun, and the other guy trying to hold them together, and (laughs) it just gets worse and worse. I love the the move of, I'll be there on the stagecoach, and just not being on the stagecoach and letting that be torture. Like, go track down this empty stagecoach. Right? Is the Lone Ranger and Tonto up on a hill eating popcorn? (laughs) 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 That's awesome. You know, Look at him freaking out. You get used to, in Lone Rangers, when you listen to him, the idea that he's going to solve this by shooting a gun out of the hand or a fist fight or some kind of action. There's no action in this. This is more Columbo-ish. Yeah. Her- Hercule Perot-ish in the solving of this. It's more of uh, intellectual revenge plot than it mm-hmm. is a physical altercation where you hunt someone down and bring them to justice, which is 90% of it. Potter's a really good actor that he could go back to the train <laughs> no. station and go through the same events that happened a couple days earlier with a straight yeah. face and sell it to this other guy that Again, could be a ghost or be imagining the previous he's encounter. He's so mad, he wants revenge too. He wants to get him too. I mean, he's not scared. He is... Yeah, let's make these guys loony. I think you're feeling that in. He never says that. He seems to be kind of blindly led along by the Lone Ranger. Let me get this straight. We're not allowed to fill in plot. <laughs> no, no, no. This, this is a sacred text, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> you can't add to or take away. I get that feeling, though, <laughs> that that's the intent, is that he is that confident in his approach of them <laughs> there's a great an unintentionally funny moment though uh when jack is pretending to be asleep the second time he's in the hotel room and he is snoring and then he says to himself i have yeah. to keep this up make it sound like i'm really sleeping yes. <laughs> just, just, i love that like this is so hard must keep <laughs> snoring <laughs> i wrote it right here at that same line and this was my example of normal lone ranger shows that please forgive me it's lazy writing but it's also mostly intended at kids, so that lazy writing was overfilling exposition. It's very important to make to, sure yeah. that a kid understands what's going on. Yeah, that he's but, faking being asleep. But, you have to right. let him know that. 
And just so you guys know what I'm doing, I'm pretending to sleep. Uh, the hard part about the Lone Ranger to get through is as every year it gets harder and harder is the Native American issues. <laughs> I was wondering, it's hard. Was the trope of exotic ethnic sidekick, did that exist before Tonto? There's Cato, but that's, but that's after. after. Yeah. Um, there's so much about it that is like, oh, that's hurtful to Native Americans, but also set up the model that was going to be hurtful to many other cultures mm-hmm. around the world. But it's also like, it was a real opportunity for Native American actors later yeah, later, oh. obviously, this is a white guy doing it at the time, but still just to even present that a infallible hero, as Eric said, had no problem having his best friend be a Native American. Yeah, and, and that's a, a big thing, I think, in this era of radio aimed at kids. Then you take a step forward and you go into the TV series where they actually cast yeah. a Native person. Mm-hmm. For example, from my personal history, my dad is a quarter Native, but presents as... A lot more, if not totally. And he grew up in 1950s Brainerd when Westerns were all the rage. Mm -hmm. He was teased and made fun of. His dad told him to tell the kids he was French. But he loved the Lone Ranger, partly because... Of Jay Silverheels. Jay Silverheels, but also because, you know, he had that confusing identity. And it was like a white guy and a native guy working together. And it was a big deal to him. And by saying that, I think everyone has the right to go... That bothers me, and I don't want yeah. to watch it. And I we think, wouldn't yeah. approach it that way today. But if you're going to go back and listen to it and watch it, I think you should recognize what it meant to yeah, perhaps some people at that time. Give it the credit it deserves and yeah. the criticism it deserves. Yeah. Uh, that being said, like if they were to, I don't know, do a movie in 2012 and cast oh, you, a, like John, <laughs> and Johnny Depp, Depp, that might be tacky. Yeah. <laughs> a couple of points. Let me just get that out and we'll be done. Worst thing I've ever seen in my life was that Lone Ranger movie of Johnny Depp mm-hmm. for about a million reasons. I gave it a second chance three months ago. Couldn't make it halfway through it. Terrible Do you remember movie. that other Terrible. sort of modern Lone Ranger movie earlier than that? Oh, yeah. It's better than that. From 1981. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it had um, uh, Michael Horse oh. from Twin Peaks played Tonto. Wow. Yes. Here's the other point I want to make about the, the Native American. You know, my mother-in-law is Native American and my wife is partially Native American consequently, and you don't say the word John Wayne around my mother-in-law. He is a villain in her world, and and they hate him, and I, wow, right. When I met their family, like, John Wayne, no, he's, oh, I see. <laughs> then Do you the, have, like, some sort of, like, movie star Tourette's where you just okay. met them and went, John Wayne! <laughs> <laughs> the other one was Jay Silverheels. So to go back, when you guys are saying, you know, this is somebody they could look up to, if you go down the rabbit hole of Jay Silverheel's life, he took a lot of criticism from his community for what he did. Mm. He was not a hero mm. to the Native American community for breaking that ground. And my in-law family is on the fence about oh. Mr. Silverheels and what he did and what he accomplished. In an isolated case study... Little kid Tim watching Lone Ranger with Jay Silverheels, it was in stark contrast to just about every other presentation yeah. of a Native American you see. And it really just set in and like, yeah, Native American friend. And in the case study for my dad, whose name is also Tim, he felt the same way, so it might just be a Tim thing. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> now, I have a thing against Tim's. <laughs> Maybe a little off topic. Given all the constant repetition about how big Silver was, I, I assume this horse is a 12-foot beast. <laughs> <laughs> this mighty Just horse. Every time he's interacting with that horse, I'm like, come on, big guy. It was a gigantic horse. It's not ever said, but it is implied that 
the horse is a gift from a higher being, but it is kind of spiritually said by Tonto to him like that horse is chosen. Perseus and Pegasus, Lone Ranger and Silver. Yes. <laughs> Just totally decided to believe you on that. <laughs> and Tim said, I do appreciate, along with the infallible hero, this sort of hyperbole, particularly of the intro, where it says, Nowhere in the pages of history can one find a greater champion of justice. Not even Frederick Douglass. Not even <laughs> Susan B. Anthony. <laughs> right. Lone Ranger, better than all of them. <laughs> Well, that falls into the category again of the infallible hero. He is the greatest hero. That He never shoots anybody, shoots the gun out of their hand. I don't think he's ever, from what no, I remember. That I was one of the rules I read that he never uh, Trendle him made right. up for him, that he always spoke proper English, that he always did the right thing. and That, that was a Gene Roddenberry-esque rule <laughs> that no one could break, that he could right? never do a wrong thing ever. All right. Well, if there are no other thoughts, let's send it to the vote. Tim, you're on. Uh, It stands the test of time. I don't know that I would say classic radio must listen to, but so often if you would ask me about what is the Lone Ranger radio series like having never heard it, I would make some assumptions of it's probably kind of old-fashioned and fun for kids, and this uh, had a lot going on. It was compelling and fun, and I didn't know what to expect, and uh, so I think even for a modern audience, this would be a lot of fun. Yeah, this is definitely my favorite Lone Ranger mm-hmm. I've heard. It amused me just what a great ghost story. I said it at the top, but that, that the Lone Ranger sets up. It's a mm-hmm. great idea. It's tough. It's hard to say what it stands the test of time because I think the plot is strong, but you, as we discussed for a great amount of time, Tonto is going mm-hmm. to be a hindrance to some. I think it's really going to depend on the listener of whether they can contextualize that uh, within the time period, whether or not it stands the test of time. But for me, I was surprised at how uh, fun the story was, and I really enjoyed it, and it, it was a really well-chosen story for this podcast. So I will say this, someone who's listened to a lot of Lone Ranger has him tattooed on his body. I will back up to him and say, if someone had never listened to the Lone Ranger, Will, I'm going to tell you this, that I now have the episode that I would start with. This is absolutely, 100%, the best Lone Ranger I've ever listened to. Um, and I'm so glad you brought it to us because I'd never heard it. And I love the variance from the recipe of the lone ranger because to me it is about revenge period the end he is not trying to find someone and bring him to justice he's gonna mess with them and that is the first time i've ever heard any sense of humanity (laughs) a real humanity in that trope of the infallible hero i say it is a classic lone ranger it is one of the best i say it stands the test of time A classic of old-time radio, I can't do that. But I I would say all the other kudos for sure. So that being said, thank you again so much, Will, uh, for your suggestion and your dedication to your father. And thank you for being a listener. Tim, we have all sorts of ways for people to uh, follow us, and why don't you tell them stuff? Yeah, if you want to know what's going on with the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, the best thing you can do is go to ghoulishdelights.com. From there, you'll find other episodes of the podcast. You'll find information about our live shows. You can also find links to our various social media outlets like Facebook and Instagram. Uh, It's just a great place to leave comments on episodes, send us a message, however you want to get a hold of us. uh, That is a great way to send us your episodes. 
you'd like us to, to listen to, uh, we will put them on the list. It's a long list, but we'll get to it. Yes, you can also go to patreon.com slash themorals and support this podcast financially. Ah, it just kills the pitch when you use the word financially, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, we lost any extra money this month <laughs> for poor <laughs> word choice. You can also go to iTunes, which will cost you nothing but time. And you can <laughs> write a review. Give us five stars, because every star is free. Um, you Your can... review should say infallible. <laughs> <laughs> five stars. Uh, you can also go to Facebook, uh, because we have a great discussion group, the Mysterious Old Listening Group. I think that's right. Sure, sure. There's sure. some words the in front that, of group. You made it up. I know. It's <laughs> getting harder and harder with each passing year to remember anything. Um, so, yeah, it's a great discussion of um, old-time radio in general. Um, lots of fun listeners with some insightful comments. And uh, please join us there for further discussions. Also, we have a YouTube channel. Please uh, hit subscribe to that because... It's just a really easy way to be notified, as I found out when our podcasts go up. An email shows up and I go, hey, new one. And it's an easy way to listen to it. We're just posting them all up there as well. Uh, also, like our Facebook page. That helps us out and it also helps you out. You get notifications on what's going on from our live shows to uh, everything else. And uh, speaking of our live shows, just want to invite anybody that happens to be in the area from out of state or here, if you... Uh, Please come to our live shows, and if you do, please let us know you're a listener, and we'd love to meet you. Um, so, coming up next... Coming up next is a uh, Patreon reward, uh, because we reached um, our $300 a month mark, and we are doing a five-part podcast featuring a, all five parts of the Johnny Dollar Serial, The Indestructible Mike Matter. Until then... Look out! Yeah, you never hear the Lone Ranger go, whoa, scared me. <laughs> or, you know, there's no moment yeah. of him ever not being that guy. He mm -hmm. never lets his guard down. He's not shocked. He doesn't stub his toe. He doesn't cut himself shaving. You know, like, <laughs> he never like, oh, I misread those hoof prints. They actually went this way. There's not... A